Good morning. There we go. Love it that we get to fellowship together and glad we're here this morning. This is such a gift from God. Has anyone ever prayed for you, kind of in private, but just you and them, and their prayer was so touching, so moving, that it just brought you to tears? Has anyone ever prayed for you like that, where they said things to God on your behalf, they said things about you, and the only thing you felt was their love, sincere, genuine love for you, their care for you, and you just knew, man, this person loves me and is praying for me. I want to look at John chapter 17. It's the high priestly prayer. It's the longest prayer recorded by Jesus I think it's the longest prayer period, but it's, it's Jesus' prayer for you and for me. Did you know that Jesus prayed specifically for you? He had you in mind and prayed, and they documented it. It's in John chapter 17. God inspired his word, made it so that you would hear Jesus' prayer for you. It's in John chapter 17. I'll start reading in verse 14, and you can read along with me. John 17, 14, Jesus is praying to the Father. This isn't the beginning of his prayer. It's partway through, but he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know who the them are in there? Jesus is speaking about his followers, And right after this, he says, and not just for them, but those who are coming later, speaking about you and me, we're the laters. He he prayed specifically for you. That's the them. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, hated us. Why would the world hate us? Jesus says, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We do not belong to this present world broken system. This isn't where our final destination is. This is not our true citizenship yet. And Jesus is praying that, letting you know, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. I've given you my word, and I know that the world hates you. The world hates you. because Why? Because you're different. And then Jesus says in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, or depending on how you translate it, keep them from evil. Now, this is interesting. Have you ever wondered, Jesus, why can't we just get saved and then you take us out? You know, why didn't I just go straight to heaven after I got saved? I mean, after I got saved, what else is there to do? Why do you have me here in this broken, stinky world? I'm ready to go to the new heavens, new earth. I'm ready to be with him. And Jesus unlike us, says, no, 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 that's not what I want for you. You don't want me to be with you? Not yet. Why? Why did Jesus specifically say, now listen, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world yet. Well, you know, some people might say, well, thanks. Like, why why would you not want me out of this world? But it's out of love. Jesus had a purpose. He has a plan He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from evil, that you keep them from the evil one. Don't let them walk into temptation and the path of destruction, but I still don't want them out of the world. I want them in the world for a reason. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, Jesus had flesh and bone. He was human. And so Jesus was fully God, fully man. He had flesh. He was fully human like us. So when he says, just as I am not of the world, he doesn't mean not human or not that you were born here. He means you don't belong to this specific structure. You don't belong to live like the world. I'm not speaking of cultures. You could be culturally different. That doesn't make you worldly. In the New Testament, when it speaks of worldliness, it speaks of sinfulness. You are not belonging to sin. You don't belong to sin anymore. Why? Because now you belong to God. And so that's what he's praying this. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And then he specifies, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth sanctify them. The word sanctify means to set apart, to make holy. Set them apart. Give them a different purpose than the worldly purpose. Don't make them like the world. They're not of the world. They're just in it, but not of it. It's like the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermometer just changes with the environment. It will raise when it's hotter and it'll lower when it's colder. But a thermostat changes the temperature. It has a different effect. It's meant to change what's there. That's you and me. We're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. They're not of the world. I want you to sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. Your word is the truth that they need to change. And I'm praying specifically for them. He's prayed for us in Newton, Kansas. Can you believe it? He knows about Newton. Well, if he knew about Nazareth, he'd know about Newton. He prayed for you and me that we would be sanctified in the truth. As you sent me in the world, so I have sent them in the world. That sentness, that sent is the purpose. You kind of reveal, Jesus is revealing his heart here as he's praying for you. I've sent them. I have a reason why they're still there. There's a reason why I don't want you to take them out yet. It's because they have a purpose. You have a mission. Each one of you has a purpose, a God designed purpose. First, that you would come to Christ, that God would call you to himself. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet, God's desire for you is that you would be saved, that you would believe on his son Jesus who came to die on a cross and shed his own blood and be a sacrifice for you. And then after salvation, that you would follow him, that you would be sanctified, that you would be changed. You know, Theological terms could be a little bit confusing. If I told you the word sanctification and you never went to church, I don't know what sanctification, they don't use that on Netflix. The world doesn't know what sanctification means. Sanctification is, is really a two-part word. It's a two-process idea. There's what scholars call the smart people. I just read from them. I'm not very smart. But they say there's positional sanctification. When you were saved God set you apart for his purpose. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You have been perfectly sanctified. You are set apart, made holy for him. If you're a Christian, God set you apart. You have a different reason for living, a different purpose for living, and that purpose is Jesus, to glorify him, to know him, to be in a personal relationship with him. You've already been sanctified in one sense. That's what the scholars call positional sanctification. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That means you're different. So you have been sanctified positionally. You stand right before God. The Bible also calls that justification. 
But you've been sanctified in that way. But there's a second kind. There's another side to sanctification, and that's called progressive sanctification. It's, it's a, it takes time for you to change. It takes time for you to grow. And I, I want to use part of God's creation to use as an example. Anybody know what this is? It's a pine tree. Someone's a gardener or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm clearly not that guy. Anybody know what these pine cones are? Maybe I'll put a picture on there. Pine cones? There they are. These three little, look how cute they are, these little grapes. These little pine cones. These are seeds. Do you know that from these, the seeds contained in this pine cone, it can create this? Impressive, huh? But what's more impressive than that? Now, if I were, now some of you kids... I'm talking to some of you kids. I'm not just going to pick on my kids. Would you call this a tree? Be honest. Some of you, now, some of you have farmers for families. Okay, who doesn't have a farmer for a family? Would you call this a tree? No, this looks like a little, it's like a little bush. It's like a little bit. You couldn't even, Charlie, Christmas, peanut tree, whatever. This is nothing. This is not a tree. I'll show you a picture of a real tree. Look at this picture. At the bottom of that picture, there's a man in a blue shirt that's measuring the trunk of this huge pine tree. Now, if you were this little guy and you were planted right next to that big guy, you'd say, I ain't no tree. That's a tree. It's kind of like uh, in, Christian, in Christianity, in Christian life, it's like when I stand next to Pastor Steve. I think, now that's a godly man. That is a spirit-filled, amazing, and then I'm this guy. I'm this guy. I'm like this little guy next to him. Because Pastor Steve has walked with the Lord for decades he has known God's love and forgiveness and change and sanctification. He knows him deeply, personally. He spent time with him alone out in the Colorado in his own bedroom, in his own room, in his own house, in his car as he prays at train stops. He has walked with the Lord for a long time. And when you get to know him, you just know that, that big pine tree. That, that is God's desire is that we grow and mature. But... When you feel like this, it can get discouraging because you feel like, I haven't been changed yet, not like what I really want. I don't know that I'm truly sanctified yet. How many people have felt that way? I know I feel that way. I still feel that way. A lot of people don't believe that when pastors say that. Do you know the closer you get to God, the smaller you feel? This is a fact. The more you know Jesus, the more you read the scriptures and are amazed by God's wisdom and truth and his love and his grace and his mercy, you know what you feel like? The most undeserving sinner of all. You feel like the chief of sinners. Jesus is so amazing. Really, Jesus is the big tree, the one we're all looking at. And Steve, Pastor Steve would say that. He'd say, no, there's only one place for that, and that's him, that's Jesus. And so God wants you to be sanctified, meaning he wants you to change and grow, and there's a process. When you get saved, you're the little pine cone. Maybe right now you feel like this sapling, this little pine tree, but God's desire for you, his goal, his purpose is that picture. He wants you to grow and change. He wants you to be different next year than you are today. He wants you to do ministry that even you think, I can't do. I can't witness to my coworkers. I can't. I can't speak about the Bible. I can't share the gospel. I can't disciple another man and woman. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And guess what? Jesus prayed specifically that you would. He prayed for you that you would be sanctified, that you would be changed. So I want to look in the scriptures and I want to look at 
three kinds of changes that God uses in your life to sanctify you. I want to think a little bit deeper and more specifically, take some time to meditate. There are three changes in your life that God will use to make you more like his son, Jesus. Three kinds of changes that ultimately are meant to change you internally. So number one, there's the change that we grieve over. There's the change we grieve over. This is the change of loss. If we're going to be different as God has called us to be different, if we're going to be holy like God has called us to be holy, we are going to have to embrace and accept and pursue change. And the first kind of change that we have to accept is change that we grieve over. Uh, You know, Mary, losing her, knowing that she lost her dad on Friday, had to grieve over the loss of her father. I remember two years ago, it feels like just yesterday, Courtney's dad, Ricky, Pappy. My kids still cry sometimes when they think about him. A couple weeks ago, I went to my brother-in-law's ordination. We just happened to be there at the right time, and we were there in technically Washington. And as he was sharing in his ordination, he says, I know my dad would be proud of me. I just started bawling like a baby. I'm sitting there in the crowd. No one even knows who I am. I'm crying. You grieve loss. And and the goal for that kind of change is that you would experience God's comfort. Have you ever lost a spouse? Have you ever lost a child? Have you lost someone close to you, a parent? Some of you have experienced deep loss. And that kind of change you, you have to learn to accept because what God wants you to have, what to learn in that, is his experience. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, This is why Paul writes it in chapter 1, verses 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We share the same comfort with others as we have received from God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share, and this is a key word, abundantly in comfort too. Just as we have to suffer and experience loss and experience change that we grieve over, just as we share in that suffering, we also get to share abundantly in God's comfort. That's why we pray that God would give the family a peace that passes understanding. God, that you would give them comfort. Give them comfort through their church family. Give them comfort through the Spirit, the Comforter, the one who came to affirm and convict and to to point us toward Christ. That kind of change we just, we need to learn to accept. It's change that we grieve over. And that's a hard change of loss. But there's also change that we grow through. There's change that just happens. Whether you like it or not, it's, it's, just going to be there. You don't choose it. It's not necessarily loss. It's just difference. It's a difference in job and location and culture, and there's things that change around you. There's ways that you change. There's change that your, there's ways that your body changes as you get older. There's just change that you have to grow through. There's change that you experience as your family grows and as your work grows and you have more responsibility. There's just change that you have, that you have to go through. Uh, we were driving, uh, on our way to Oregon, and it took us three days to get there. We, we drove, I don't know, 600 miles each day. Not a whole lot, but for five kids in the van, it felt like a while. 
And so we drove there and uh, we got to the house where we were staying. The house where we were staying the first time, it was a steady 80 degrees in the room that we were in, which I don't know if uh, you're a lizard in the desert. I'm not. I didn't really enjoy the heat. And then we go and visit Courtney's brother and stay in their house. And Courtney's brother is about as tall as Pastor Will and maybe a little bit bigger. And so he likes to keep his house pretty chilly. And so it was cool where we were the second time. And it was just a change. We just had to accept it. There was just going to be a change. And there was nothing we could do. We just had to embrace the change. There's changes that you're going to experience where you just have to grow through it. And God, God's goal for that is for you to gain his wisdom. God wants you to gain wisdom as you experience change that you just have to grow through. In Proverbs 18, verse 15, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks, not, seeks wisdom. Sorry, seeks knowledge. So to be intelligent, to be wise, you seek knowledge. You're, you're paying attention. You have discernment, just like Proverbs 17, verse 24 the discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. I love this proverb, mainly because of the picture it shows. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere. I, I actually, there's a specific place. I was in a Walmart, and there was a guy, presumably a husband, and there was a lady, presumably his wife, and she was talking, and I just knew he wasn't listening. I just knew it. I just could tell, you know, that sense. And I felt like she could tell, but she was trying to, like, make it not so, not working. This guy was all over the place, not paying attention. I thought, dude, you're in trouble. You, do you need my help? I felt like I just tapped him on the shoulder. Hey, you're in the wrong place, okay? I need you to, you know, hear ice here. And so uh, it gives this picture, like, wisdom is right here in front of you. It's right here. I know you have to go through change that's hard. Change can be difficult. I know you have to go through change but don't be a fool. Don't be a fool and think of everything else except what's right in front of you. Don't avoid change. You would need to grow through change. You should never avoid change. Change is going to happen whether you like it or not, and you just have to grow through it. So pay attention. Don't have your eyes wandering all over the ends of the earth when it's right here in front of you what God wants you to do. So there's change that we grieve over and change that we grow through. Uh, but most importantly, there's the change that we go after. There's the kind of change that God calls on us to pursue. God wants us to think differently about change. And the kind of sanctification that's written about in the New Testament, there's a calling with the sanctification. God's not asking you, hey, would you mind if you'd like at some point be different and change? He's not asking that. He's saying, I have set you apart to be different and to continually be changing. Progressive sanctification, I am calling you to change and to be different. Paul reminds us that Jesus called us to, to in Ephesians chapter 4, he called us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires. Put off your old self. Put off your old self and because uh, it's just sinful, it's corrupt, it's fleshly things. He's talking about like sinful things. When you just want to feed your flesh, your eyes, your stomach, the pride of life, you just, you just want to feed you. He says, put that off. That's not going to help you. It's like an empty pit. It's a black hole. You're never going to feed it. It's never going to be good. It's like feeding a monster. It's just going to grow up and 
beat you over. It's just going to maul you like a bear. Don't feed your flesh. Instead, walk in the Spirit. But he says in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be changed inwardly, and we'll talk about that, and put on the new self. You got to put on a new person. I know, I think the King James maybe it says put on the new man. You got to put on the new man, uh, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's the key. Put on the new self that reflects God's image. Don't be your sinful self. Don't feed your flesh, but be different. Change. Change for the better. Embrace sanctification. Even pursue it and pursue a life of change. Say, God, I want to be more like you every day. And so this is, the prog- this is progressive sanctification that Jesus prayed about. And the change that is written about in Ephesians chapter 4 has those three steps. So I just want you to think about these three steps and I want you to apply it to your life. Are you obeying Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24? Because there are three steps there. There's removal, renewal, and replacement. The three steps of sanctification, of changing, the progressive sanctification involves these three steps. Removal, renewal, and replacement. And so removal is just repentance. You know, put off the old self. He's talking about turn away from sin. Don't give in to that. He actually lists a number of sins in this passage. If you read the rest of Ephesians 4 and the first couple of verses of Ephesians 5, he includes lying. So put off lying. Don't lie anymore. Sinning out of anger. Don't sin out of anger. Don't steal. Dishonest work. He mentions corrupt talking, and this is a big one in our culture because the world, the way that the world is, Corrupt talking is okay. It's okay to, to speak however you want and to speak about things that are inappropriate. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's embraced. It's accepted. It's actually even encouraged. If you don't have corrupt talk and you're out there in the secular circles, you're going to look like a pious, self-righteous know-it-all, and you will feel a little dirty, and you'll feel like, I just want to say some things that feel a little bit corrupt just so I'm not so unaccepted, so I'm not so different. And God says, no, I've called you to be different, to put on the new self, and to put away that corrupt talk. Don't talk in a corrupt manner. He mentions bitterness, unforgiveness, judgment, wrath, slander, sexual immorality, and covetousness. He mentions all this in a couple of sentences in this passage. He says, put off those sins. Remove those things. So let me just ask you, this isn't an exhaustive list. What is God calling you to put off so that you will grow? So that you'll actually grow? It's like if I were to put a bowl that was not clear, was not transparent, an opaque bowl, and I put it over this plant and put it outside, would it grow? Would it grow? Of course not. Any child could tell you, no, I've learned that in school. That won't grow. Neither will you. Neither will you. You have to put off the old self, you can't keep giving into it or else you won't grow. I, re- I remember a time, uh, this was actually in Michigan, where Will, I think, was part of the team at Miracle Camp. I was, at, I was the church before this, I was serving, and we went to, I think it was Miracle Camp, and I got to be the proud counselor of the middle school boys. Uh, Kevin, yeah, some of you are laughing because you've smelled that before. And... Um, <laughs> 
Been there, done that. And so I'm in this cabin, and these kids start kind of like joking around and making fun of each other. And there was this one kid, no kidding, his feet stunk. It was horrible. But I didn't say anything because I'm an adult. You know, I'm not going to make fun of them in front of them. And so uh, his feet were super stinky. And some of the kids were like, you need to throw those away. We're going to burn them. This is the worst. To throw them outside. No bears will come. That kind of joking. They were like that. But they were hypocrites because like two of the boys didn't use deodorant and clearly should have. And their shirt needed to be burned. And they needed to be put into a shower. And they didn't know that. So they're yelling at each other, you take those off. And then I want to be like, Dude, you take that shirt off. And then I was like, why am I in a middle school camp and tell these boys to take off their clothes? So I was like, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. I can't be in this mess. Uh, I, I didn't leave. I, I, I did the adult thing. I, I took care of things. But anyway, uh, you know what? We all have stinky clothes. All of us. All of us get stinky. You and I, we all have things that we need to put off. We need to remove. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We need to humble ourselves and embrace this church family and one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, and stop being proud. Stop slandering, stop judging, stop being critical. We need to love each other because, hey, I got stinky socks, but so do you. And we all need to take it off, and there's only one that can help us do that, and that's Jesus. We belong to him. And so we need to put off. So there's removal, but then there's renewal. Be renewed in your mind, in the spirit of your mind. So you've got to be renewed. You've got to be changed. You've got to be different. Romans 12, verse 2. A lot of you have memorized this. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be like the world. Be in it, but not of it. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by a mind that now belongs to Christ. And he says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need a renewal. You need to have a philosophy and a perspective change if you're going to be sanctified and grow. So there's removal, renewal, and then there's replacement. You got to put on some stuff, right? If you take off the seeky stocks... You still got to wear socks. You need clean socks. God wants you to put on the new self, the new things. He wants you to replace those old things. Because I'm telling you, if you don't replace baggage with holy things, you will just have different baggage. I'm telling you from experience, and you know it too. I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to do better in this area of my life. And I don't replace that time with something better. I just do the next fleshly thing. If I'm not going to feed my flesh with entertainment, I'm going to feed it with food. And if I don't feed it with food, I'm going to feed it with this. And if I don't feed it, I've got to choose to feed my mind and my heart with the truth. Sanctify them in your truth with God's word. I want to, I want to replace my life with Jesus. I want to spend time with him. I want to grow. I want to grow. And I can't grow unless I'm with him. And you can't either. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, right after this, he says, therefore be imitators of God. Walk in love. Be like him. Follow him. Walk with him. And so we need to change and we need to replace. We need to replace our old ways with the love of God. That's why Paul mentions be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walking in love. God wants us to be imitators of him and change the way we live 
That's his purpose for sanctification. What is God's will for you according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think verse 3? God's will for you is your sanctification. That you would continually be changed to become more like him. That's God's desire for you. That was Jesus' prayer for you. And that's our calling. Here's the question. Are you going to answer that call? Not just the sermon that will be forgotten in a moment. Are you going to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting and pursue the call of holiness, of sanctification? Are you going to live like you're set apart for his purposes? Are you going to be a part of Jesus' answered prayer? Because you have to choose to pursue sanctification. There is change that you must go after. And that's the change that God is calling you to. There's change you can't help. You can't do anything about change you grieve over and change you have to grow through. That's going to happen whether you like it or not. If you live this life, you're going, to, that's, you're going to experience it. But God wants you to be sanctified. That's why he calls us saints. Do you know the word saint means holy? And the root word of sanctification is actually the same root word for saint. It means to be holy, to change and be holy. Listen, in this life, there are two kind of people. There are the saints and the ain'ts. There's those that belong to God and those that ain't belonging to God. And Jesus came so that all the ain'ts would become saints. He wants you to be different. Are you going to change for the better on purpose? Because if not, you're not following Christ. And that's our desire, isn't it? Don't you want to follow Christ? Don't you want to change and become more like him and put off that old stuff, be renewed in your spirit, spend time with him, replace your life with what's good? I do. I want to grow. Right now, I feel like this. And one day, by God's grace, I will be like him in a way. I will have a glorified body and I will see him and be known in a great way. I want to do as much as I can right here, right now, I don't want to get there and be like, I wasted it. I sat there like a consumer. I was unmoved. I didn't care. I forgot the gospel. I did what Jesus warned in his last words to the church, what he warned Ephesus of. Don't forget your first love. If you've forgotten your first love, today's a day to remember it. Jesus gave his life for you. He pursued. He pursued what he calls us to pursue. He gave it all up. He shed to the, to the point of dying on a cross so that you could be different. And one of his last prayers before he met the cross in John 17 was, Father, would you sanctify them in your truth? Your word is truth. Make them different so that the world will know that I sent them. That's his desire. I'll tell you what, I want to fulfill that. I want to follow my Lord and King in being different. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. There's no doubt that you were the one that saved us and pursued us, and it is by grace, your grace first. When you sent your Son and gave the gospel the good news that you had finally come to take away the sins of the world. 
you drew us to you, and so we thank you. We kneel in our hearts to you. You are worthy of praise, and we pray, would you make us a church that is different? Sanctify us in your truth. Sanctify us by your word. Help us to be different. We want to change for the better because it's what you've called us to do. We pray that you would not find us without oil in our lamps, asleep when you've called us to work. We thank you for the good work that you've given us. Would you go with us? We bless your name and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace, I love you. It's good to be back. Thanks, Jack. That was great. Uh, many of us, we're, we're all leaving together and all of us will have something to go out and grow in. Um, some of us are going to have things to grow, grieve over as we go out. Some of us are going to have things to grow through. Um, and I hope that all of us will go after the change that we go after, our sanctification. Um, I'm the new guy, so I haven't said our sending as many times as you have. And I really think the beauty of our sending is not in the words, but is in our actions. If we actually do it, if we actually go out and be the church together and be the church for the community. So we're going to do our sending together and then we'll be on our way. We've been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in our worship of the living God together. We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another, and we have been equipped by the preaching of God's word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. In whatever family, neighborhood, workplace, or school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. In whatever stage of life you find yourself Look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. You are the church. Now go be the church. Thanks, Grace.